Thank you, everybody, for coming out. Um, I'm going to... Uh, I want to begin just by, by saying just a, a couple uh, kind of disclaimers, I guess you could say. I, am, I really am not um, an expert on this in any way. I, I've had to teach myself a lot of this stuff over the past few weeks. Um, and, and I feel like I need to give credit to, uh, to one person in particular. It's a guy by the name of Dr. Ken Funk, um, who is a professor out um, at Oregon State University, who is a guy who's kind of a like-minded guy with me as far as where we're coming from. He's a Christian with kind of a Reformed Presbyterian view of things. And he and I have, um, have spoken a lot. We've spoken on the phone. Um, I've read some of his articles that have been very helpful. One in particular is actually where I stole uh, the, the title for the, the, uh, the talk tonight, where, where he talks about thinking critically and Christianly about technology. And, um, and so anyway, instead of referencing him over and over again throughout this, I just wanted to give his name and say that a lot of his thoughts are in this. And then, and then just to kind of say this, uh, it's, it's kind of a difficult task because um, I see... Obviously, I have a lot of people that, that are normally uh, from the Echo crowd who are here, who are kind of college and young adults in the crowd. And then, and then I see um, a lot of parents who are here wanting answers, and, um, and then a lot of visitors, and perhaps some people who perhaps wouldn't even necessarily identify themselves as a Christian. Um, and so I'm kind of got this whole uh, crowd range, range here, and, um, and I guess it'd be helpful for me to tell you kind of where I'm coming from and who particularly I'm speaking to, um, I'm coming from just a perspective of, uh, obviously a Christian perspective, but, but I guess you could say a Reformed Presbyterian um, view of things when you're talking about technology and the internet, and that will come out, and I understand that, that some people are not coming from that angle, and I'll try to be as sensitive as I can to that, but that's where I'm coming from, and I, and I guess the series is designed uh, more than anything for parents, and so... Um, I think to you young adults and college students from ECHO who are here, um, I think that there's a lot you can take from it, obviously, and there's a lot of things that you're going to be able to pick up on and apply. But, but a lot of my applications will be towards parenting and helping you through that. And so I hope, um, I hope that, that um, the young adults won't get frustrated with that. But that's just kind of what I have to work with. Okay. Um, why are we here? Um, we are here... I guess you could say because we have, um, I guess in 15 years, the internet has swallowed up the culture as we know it. And um, I have in this room probably a lot of parents who are stumbling around in the dark trying to figure out how to parent now in this age of technology, in this age of internet. Your kids get it, but you don't. And that scares you a lot. Um, And you knew how to parent Ten years ago, but you don't know how to do it now, and so um, you need help. And um, but it's not just with the kids. I, I truly believe that in this room, I have um, I have marriages being torn apart because uh, a husband cannot shake a painful uh, addiction to pornography. And I feel like I'm sure I have marriages being torn apart because a wife is at home all day. Um, searching for an intimacy fix on the internet, social networking, blogging, maybe even an online affair. Um, I have young adults, college students who are in the heat of all of this and are just trying to figure out 
um, what that looks like, how to live in this new age that you're going to have to deal with no matter what. I have, I have elderly um, who are here who are probably going to understand about half of what I say. Um, you're just concerned about the world that you're leaving to your grandkids and you want to kind of understand what is going on. So I believe um, I have a room full of people who are crying out for help in a lot of ways with this stuff. And, and that's why we are here. I guess I would say, how dare we not answer that question as the church? Uh, I believe fundamentally that the church is the place to run to for answers, for help, um, questions like this. And so we're going to do our best to offer help in this way. So let's have the discussion in a very real and open way. Let's deal with this issue in the next few weeks and, and see what the Lord does with it. Um, many of you would probably want me to jump right into the issues, um, to, to these hot topics that we're going to be discussing in the coming weeks. And, um, and, and, and this night, I hope, won't be too frustrating for you. But before I, I truly believe before we can jump into these issues, um, we have to discuss a proper worldview of technology, of the Internet. We have to have that frame of reference to approach these different issues. And so tonight, I want to lay that out. Um, for some of you, that, that may be hard. Stick with me, especially in the first point when we're looking at the philosophy and the biblical worldview of it all. Hang with me uh, because it's really important for you to get. Let me, let me first define um, what I mean when I say technology. And this, is, this definition is a combination of, of my thoughts and, and Dr. Funk, who I referenced earlier. Um, here's how I would define technology. It, it is the act of image bearers, and I'm going to read it and then I'll explain it a little bit more. It is the act of image bearers to extend human capabilities of forming and transforming creation to realize valued states. Okay, let me explain. The act of image bearers, this is a uniquely human activity that, that we do as humans. It is the act of image bearers to extend human capabilities, meaning the purpose is to overcome our limitations as humans. So, um, we, as humans, are limited. We cannot communicate with people across the country, so we invent the technology of the telephone. It will extend our human capabilities. So the act of image bears to extend human capabilities of forming and transforming creation. So technology is creating, but it's not creating like God creates, which is something out of nothing. It is forming. It is taking God's creation and discovering uses and working with it and forming and transforming it in unique ways. Two, in the last part, to realize valued states, meaning the result of technology, not technology itself, the result of technology is not value neutral, meaning it will bring with it either good or evil. Okay, it's not, let me say this, for those of you who are like, okay, you've already lost me, it's not necessary for you to hold on to everything I just said, okay? Um, I give it because some people in the room like to think that way, you're, you're the analyzers, you like the philosophy of it all, and you... And you really enjoy this discussion, and, and the term is certainly ambiguous, and so you really need to know where I'm coming from. That's where I'm coming from. That's my definition. Everyone else is saying, I don't really care. Tell me what to do with my kids. I realize that. We'll get there. Here's, here's how I want to come about this. Let me tell you where I'm going, and then, and then we'll go. Here's how I'm coming about this. Um, we're going to start very broad with a biblical view of technology, a biblical worldview of technology. So we're going to start very broad. And then we're going to narrow it down to a critique of the Internet as a technology. And then we're going to narrow it all the way down to your lives and to your homes and ask the question in, in a Schaefer way, how should we then live? So very broad view of technology, narrow that down to the Internet and then narrow it all the way down to you and your home. Okay, so let's begin with a biblical view of technology. 
Now, this is where I warn you that, that, that it's going to seem disconnected to our conversation, but it's very important. So, so hang with me as I discuss this. Uh, a biblical view of technology. Here's the, here are the verses that I'm going to use. This is from Genesis 1, uh, verse 27. And this is the beginning. It'll be very familiar to you. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay, from this, I have three observations that, is go- that are going to kind of form our biblical view of technology. Here's the first. We are created in the image of God. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, we look like God. Not physically, God is a spirit, he has no body. Rather, we look like God in that he shares with us certain attributes that he does not share with other creatures. This has many, many implications for our lives, but for the purposes of our discussion, what I want to say is this. Out of the overflow of our image comes this thing called technology. Here's what I mean. Look at, look at the creativity of man. Where did that come from? Well, that came from the image of God being made in his image. What other creature is creative like we are? All other creatures do things instinctually to survive. And everything they do is to that end. So, of course, beavers build dams, and that, and that seems to be very creative. And birds build nests, and that seems to be very creative. But it's the same design year after year after year. It's the instinct within them. You would think that it would get old to these animals and that they would look for a new design, something a little bit more efficient and better, but that's how human beings think. That is what we do. We are the image bearers. We are creative and we think that way. We process that way. And so you look at the pyramids of, of ancient Egypt or the Great Wall of China or you know contemporary examples like skyscrapers and airplanes and cell phones and the Snuggie blankets. Yes. Brilliant. Blanket with arms. We have, we have this creativity, this, this originality inside of us. Where did that come from? Well, that comes from God. God is creative. And then you have things like curiosity and, and this hunger to advance in knowledge and this thirst for truth and discovery. Where did that come from? What inside Christopher Columbus made him want to, to explore? Why did our country form NASA? These questions. Well, um, it's not just instinct, survival instinct. In fact, we put our lives on the line and risk death for these discoveries. It is because the great mind of the universe has given us his image, his mind, and we, in the same way, have this thirst for knowledge and discovery and truth. And so what I'm saying is we are made in his image with all of these attributes playing into us and many more resonating at our core. And do you know what one of the main things that overflows from that image is? It is technology. That is where technology comes from. God created man in his image with these unique qualities and the practical outworking of that image into the creation is this thing called, tr- called technology where we transform and form creation. We invent. So in the original design, we're talking about the original design, was technology a good thing? Of of course it was a good thing. It was the overflow of God's wonderful image inside of us. Now, that's the first one, creating his image. We weren't just created in his image, though. We, uh, and given these technological capabilities pointlessly, not only were we created in his image, that, that image has a purpose. It is under a mandate, okay? So we're created in his image, and then secondly, that image has a purpose. 
That's verse 28. So he says, we, God created man in his image. And then in verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the seas and the birds of the airs and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay, what is going on there with the subduing and the ruling of creation? God is saying this. I have given humanity my image, and I want them to essentially do two things with it. Bring glory to me and good to my creation. Glory to me and good to my creation. That was in that verse. Here's where it was. Bring glory to me. He says, take my image and be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Now, what he's saying there is not just have babies and populate the earth. That is part of it. But more than that, we are to fill the creation with his image so that, so that his, his glory, his image will fill this earth as the waters cover the sea. In other words, you will go out as human beings and in your own unique way, designed in your own unique way, bearing his image in your own unique way and gifts, you will bear his image. You will show forth who God is. And so as this mass of humanity goes forth, all of us bearing his image in our own unique ways, that the sum of that, this is the original design, the sum of that humanity would be this glorious, beautiful picture of the glory of God. And the glory of God would fill the earth as the waters covers the sea. It's like when you go to a sporting event and, you know, they give you a t-shirt when you walk in. And you put on your t-shirt and everybody's got on their t-shirt. And, and from a distance, from a person, I view that stadium spells something out or shows a pattern or something like that. Well, in the same way, God has clothed us all uniquely with, our, with his image. And we are supposed to fill this earth with that image, and then that all together that humanity would spell out God is glorious. He is most worthy to be praised. And so, first thing we're supposed to do with that image is to bring glory to Him by filling the earth with that image. But there's a second dynamic to it. We are to fill the earth, yes, and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay, what is all that about? Not only are we to fill the creation with His glory... We are to rule the creation on God's behalf. This is going to make sense, I promise. You see the word image there in, in the original Hebrew. What it's talking about is what would come to mind to the original audience was when kings and rulers would conquer lands, they would place icons, they would place images, statues of themselves all over the land as a representation to the people so that they would see that statue and, and be reminded, okay, that's who rules here, that's who reigns here, and we are to live according to his decrees. And you still see that a lot in communist states, right, where the, where the dictator will fill the nation with statues of himself and pictures of himself. A lot of you all have seen that. What is going on there is the, is the ruler is reminding his people, I, I own this, and you live according to my ways. Well, God is sovereign over all creation. He reigns over all. And guess who is intended to be the reminder of that and the representative of that reign? You, human beings, his image bearers. He created living images of himself to represent his reign here on earth. And... He has not, he, God does not have a cruel reign of some evil dictator. God's reign brings peace to his creation and it is always good for humanity and for creation. So his image bearers are, are under a mandate, are under a command to govern his wonderful creation in a way that is good for humanity and good for creation. Okay, hold on. 
God created us in his own image, but that image has a purpose, to bring glory to God and to be good for creation. Now let's bring technology into this. In the same way that we are under this mandate, we have this purpose to glorify God and be good for others and for creation, so does our technology. Our technology, because it is an overflow of the image bearer, is under this same mandate from God. It is an extension of our lives and is under the same command. Technology, originally designed by God, was intended to overcome the human limitations to bring glory to God and good to others in the creation. It was intended to assist us in our mandate to fill this earth with God's glory and to rule this creation well. You see, you and I, we only... We can only do so much good. There's only so much one person can do. There is a limited amount of good that I can bring into this world. But with the use of technology, that good can be magnified. And it can overcome my limitations to bring glory to God and to my neighbor. Okay. Now it gets really complicated. So, so here, that's where we are. We're created as image. We have this purpose. And the technology is assisting us in that purpose to overcome our limitations to see that come to be. Here's where it gets really complicated. For those of you who are familiar with the story, you know what happens next. So we're creating the image of God. That image has a purpose. Third observation, final observation, that image is now marred by sin. So here's what happens. Mankind failed as image bearers. Instead of glorifying God and being good to creation, they brought dishonor to God and destruction to creation. Mankind failed in its duty. So... What happens? Well, from that point forward, the image, including you, has now been infected with this cancer of sin. And this, this insidious disease has twisted the original purpose away from glorifying God and being good to creation and has instead bent us towards dishonoring God and destroying creation, including ourselves and others. We are filling now this world with rebellion and ruin. Now every thought, word, and deed bears with it the effects of the fall, including, of course, our technology. Image bearers continue to produce technology, but now the image has been tainted by this thing called sin, and therefore so has our technology. So now, technology can be used to, to realize good in this world, but here's where it gets tricky. It can also be used to realize much evil. There's a guy, there's a French philosopher who's kind of the expert on this. His, his name is Jacques Ellul, and he's very helpful here. And, and here is his diagnosis. According to Ellul, technology is now a very dangerous, dangerous thing. Because whenever we create new technology for good purposes, we must expect every time to bring new evil into creation both intended and unintended, which means every new advancement tragically brings with it new evil. So let me, for those of you who are like, can you illustrate this? Here we go. So, um, so like the airplane is a wonderful technology that man has invented, right? And, and we can accomplish so many good, so many good things that we can never accomplish before. We can, we can go fly and see loved ones that we never would have been seen before. We can go visit cultures that we never could have imagined visiting. And thinking from a Christian perspective, the, the gospel can go forth to lands that it never could have. Good. But what Jacques Alou would say was, okay, that is good. 
But here's what you need to know. Those planes can fly into towers and kill thousands of people and can be used for tremendous evil. So in thinking about technology, when we introduce new technology, humanity is also introducing with it evil. Remember, technology was originally designed to overcome human limitations so that, that our effect on creation is magnified. Now, that is a wonderful thing if we are good and obedient to the original design by God to glorify Him and be good for humanity. But now we are sinful. And here is where it gets really dangerous. Now we bring dishonor to God and destruction to creation. And so now technology has become dangerous for it overcomes our human limitations to sin. To bring rebellion and destruction into this world. By myself, I can only hurt so many people. And I can only hurt the creation so much. And I can only bring so much dishonor to God. But what with the use of technology... My sinful limitations can be overcome and I, through technology, can bring unimaginable evil and pain and destruction into this world. Yes, it can be used to realize goodness, but it can also be used to realize evil. So before the fall, we didn't have to ask this question, but now we do have to ask this question. Is technology good or evil? Well, my answer to that is it is up to you. Now, intrinsically, technology intrinsically is neither good nor evil. It is value neutral intrinsically as, as an entity unto itself. But this is not a question of intrinsic value, but of extrinsic value, or as Dr. Funk would say, instrumental value. What is it being used for? And there, and there it is most certainly not value neutral. It is an extension of human moral agency... So, it depends on the moral agent to determine if it is good or evil. If it is used by the moral agent to realize good in the world, then it is good. If it is used by the moral agent to realize evil in the world, it is evil. Humanity now determines whether technology is good or evil. So, for the purposes of our discussion, if the internet is being used in a legitimate, God-honoring manner, then it is a wonderful technology. If, however, it is being used as a means to dishonor God and harm creation, it is being used as an evil technology. Okay, with that said, thank you for hanging with me, by the way. That was, that was the hard part. It's over. We're about to get a little bit more practical and hopefully helpful. But that was very enjoyable for me because I don't get to do that often with a student, so thank you. Okay, here we go. With that said, here are two implications. Okay, here are two implications that will lead us into the discussion of the internet. The first is this. If technology is a means of overcoming human limitation, then we can assume this. The greater the technology, the greater the capacity for both good and for evil. Second implication. If technology is an extension of human moral agency and human, humanity is naturally bent towards evil then here's a truth that some of you may not agree with me, and we can talk about it afterwards, but I think it's true in all my study. If it's an extension of human moral agency, and humanity is naturally bent towards evil, then what we can say is that technology, and specifically Internet, can be good and can be evil, but tends towards evil. But tends towards evil. Because the human heart tends towards evil. Now we come to the Internet as a technology. So we're narrowing it down to the Internet as a technology and creating there. Here's with those two implications in mind, think about this. It is perhaps the greatest technology 
the greatest technological advance we image bearers have ever created. Meaning it has capacity for more good realized than anything we have ever created. Anything we could ever hope or imagine, really. Yet, it has as well the capacity for more evil than you could ever imagine. And if my second implication is true, this is where it gets a little scary. If, if the internet is an extension of human moral agency and, human, and humans by nature bent towards evil, then the internet is today in our culture, in your homes, being used to realize more evil than good. Now, I'm not, a, let me say this before, I'm not going to, I'm not the guy who says, let's turn off the internet. We'll get there. So don't be like, what's this guy saying? All right. So it, it is used. And I think I can back this up with staggering statistics of what's going on in our culture and with our youth. It is used towards more evil than good. So here's where we are. You now find yourself and your children now find themselves facing something that has the capacity to bring more evil than perhaps anything we have ever produced before. So let's look at it. Let's move on to the internet and, and, and let me tell you why I believe this is so. So we're now down to the internet as technology critiquing that. Why is the internet so powerful? What is so unique about it? Um, I could say so much here, but I won't. I'm going to reduce my observations down to just two main points. Here, here's what I would say about the internet as a technology and why it has become such a force in the life of our culture, in your life, in the life of your children. It stands alone in two ways. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you them and I'll look at both. It stands alone in two ways. Its use is boundless and its use is anonymous. Its use is boundless and its use is anonymous. First, its use is boundless. Here's what I mean. The power of the internet as a technology lies in the fact that it has no limits. Here's what I mean. I'll, I'll, to, to explain myself, I'll just give you examples that I think will resonate with you. Uh, when you were growing up, you had limits to things. Uh, so let's take entertainment. When you were growing up, your entertainment had limits. So let's say you would probably look forward to the weekends when you and your friends would get together and you would go to the movie theater and catch a show. Or maybe you had a TV show or two that you liked to catch during the week or something like that. And you had entertainment in your life, but your entertainment had its limits. Now there are no limits to entertainment. Just give me a laptop and a connection and I can watch any movie play endless video games, catch up on all of my TV shows, watch whatever sporting event I want. Entertainment is boundless and limitless. So much so that we see a generation that can barely go an hour without being entertained. Or how about this one? There used to be a limit to pornography consumption, right? So that when I was a teen, and I'm not that old, I hope I, hope I don't look that old, I'm not that old. But when I, was, when I was a teenager, and that wasn't too long ago, pornography consumption was basically relegated to the, to the one guy in school whose dad had a description to Playboy, and he'd steal the magazine and bring it to school, and the guys would huddle in the bathroom, and we'd look at naked pictures together. And that was pornography for me. Obviously, with so many limits. Now, a, a teenage boy comes home from school with these newfound sexual things going on, inside and goes into his room and locks the door and enters into an endless world of perversion with no limits. And he could spend his entire life trying to consume the twisted images on that screen and he would never make a dent. It is endless. 
it is boundless. And I know many of you here know all too well the painful destruction of a limitless world of pornography, both in your life and in the life of your children. There used to be a limit to envy, covetousness. There, there were only so many pretty girls in your life to compare yourself to, teenage girls. There was only so many, you know, teenage girls have always had to deal with a comparison game. She's prettier than me, she's cooler than me, I like her clothes, I wish I had those clothes, whatever. Teens have always dealt with that, but it was always just kind of the small, popular crowd that they're comparing themselves to and they wish they were like, or maybe a fashion magazine or two. Now, your precious daughter, who you just love so dearly, and, and you tell her over and over again that she is beautiful, and she is lovely, that she is precious, it's incredibly hard to convince her of that now. Because she has a boundless world of, of images of our culture's cruel, unattainable standard of beauty available to her. And as she fills her mind with airbrush picture after airbrush picture, and as she is led into the lives and the fashion of the celebrities, and just fills her life with these things, you can tell her she's beautiful all you want, but she has a boundless world telling her that she is average at best. And there used to be a, a limit to the narcissistic pride of our generation, Teens have always liked attention. They've always wanted to be popular. That's what they do. They thirst after popularity. And yeah, we can gain some popularity through academic achievement, athletic achievement, um, being the funny one, being the pretty one, whatever. But there was a limit to our vainglorious teenagers, right? You could maybe be the cool guy at school or maybe in the community or whatever. But now teens film themselves doing something incredibly stupid or outlandish and post it on YouTube and millions of people will feed their ego. And they'll have a Facebook profile or whatever, and they literally have thousands upon thousands of friends wanting in on their life. And when I was a teenager, I don't even think I knew a thousand people, let alone a thousand people who cared about me and my life. But now we see what is being labeled as the look at me generation, as the internet has given them a limitless opportunity to feed their self-obsession. I could go on and on, but I think you get my point. What has happened with the internet is we have introduced a technology that has no limits. And that is very dangerous. Especially when you add in this second thing, this second dynamic, that literally makes it a, a deadly cocktail, so to speak. Not only is its use boundless, its use is anonymous. So not only does it not have limits, but nobody will ever know. That is so enticing. It's interesting, going back to the original story where we were earlier, going back to the original story, for those of you familiar with, with the story, you, you remember what happened when they did fall from their purpose as image, when they, when they rebelled against their image. You remember the first reaction of humanity, right? They, they realized they were naked, and they sowed fig leaves to cover up. Now, what's going on? There's a lot going on there, but more than anything, what's going on there is for the first time, uh, mankind is experiencing what you know so well, and what I know so well, they're experiencing shame, embarrassment. They used to be naked without shame. Now they realize they're naked and they're trying to cover up because they're ashamed at what they've become. They're ashamed at what they have done. Now that shame, in a weird way, has been a common grace to humanity for a long, long time. It has kept us in check. It has kept evil deeds in check. Now, that shame 
has been lifted and we are accountable to no one. See, in the internet, it is the ultimate hiding place. It is, it is the ultimate fig leaf. It truly does. No matter how, before, no matter how hard we try to hide, you know, cover fig leaves, whatever, no matter how hard we try to hide, the shame would always seem to find a presence in our life. But now we have the ability to enter into a world where there is no shame, where there is no embarrassment. Now, there will always be individual personal shame. You will always, no matter, you cannot escape this, okay? So you'll go on the internet and you look at stuff you shouldn't look at. You will always, after that, feel shame. But people can handle individual shame. We, we, we are, it's amazing at our abilities to handle the individual shame. What is so difficult is to handle the embarrassment and the shame that comes when we are known, when we are discovered, when we are caught, and that has been removed. Our sinful impulses and desires for centuries have been bound by the chains of shame, and those chains have been broken, and it is as as though our, our, our sinful nature has just been unleashed to do as it wants with no consequences and no shame. No one will ever know. And it has led to depravity beyond anything you can imagine. It is unbelievable the depths of depravity that you will find on the internet. And it wouldn't ever happen if it weren't anonymous. But under the dark cover of the internet, you and your sinful desires have been set free to do as you please. So here's why we're talking about something incredibly powerful and incredibly dangerous. Because it has no limits and it is anonymous. Its use is limitless and its use is anonymous. Okay, with all of that said, I've left myself the rest of the time to answer the question, okay, how should we do this? How then should we live? I have sufficiently freaked everybody out. Now let me hopefully offer a way that could work. Now what? What should I do as a college student, as a young adult, as a single person? What should I do? As as a parent, what should I do? Let me end the evening by taking up that question. Most often you will see two lines of thinking here, especially within the church. I see those who really don't care to answer that question, um, don't care about examining the implications. Um, They just kind of want to flow with the culture. It's too hard to change or to really go there. And so they just flow with the culture and, and you really can't tell the difference between their usage of the internet and the world's usage of the internet. And then, of course, there is the other camp that um, you're probably wanting to be in right now, which is like, okay, we're done. No more internet. Turn it off. Throw it away. Problem solved. My kids won't ever be there. Um, As you might expect, I'd like to propose a third way this evening. A way that I think is true to Scripture, is very true to Scripture. Um, And this is where my my Reformed Presbyterian um, views will kind of come out. Um, For those of you who are kind of familiar with that line of thinking, what should Christians do with the Internet and technology? What should Christian homes do with it? Well, it should be redeemed. It should be redeemed. Now, that term may not make sense to a lot of you, probably, probably not many of you at all. What I mean when I say that Christians are to redeem the Internet is that we must recover, we must redeem the original intentions of God when it comes to technology. This is why I spend so much time there. 
We are to recover what God originally intended for technology. Remember way back when I was talking about his original mandate to image bearers, what they are to do with their lives, what they are to do with their technology. It should be used rightfully. It should be used as a way to bring glory to God and good to creation. In other words, Christians should be the ones who use the internet the way God intended for all of technology to be used. To glorify Him and to be good for neighbor and good for self and good for creation. I am leaning heavily here on, on, on John Calvin, particularly um, if you want to go read this, it's excellent. Book 3, chapter 10 of the, of the Institutes, where Calvin just addresses this topic. How we must use the present life and its helps. He had no idea about technology, but that is gold to think about how to use... He had idea of technology, he had no idea about internet, how to use the internet. How should, we use, how should we live in this life and to use its helps? Calvin would say this, this is what he says. I'm going to read it and then I'll explain it. Let this be our principle, that we err not in the use of the gifts when we refer them to the end for which their author made and destines them. No man will keep the true path better than he who shall have this end carefully in view. I will translate. Calvin is saying the principle of using the things of this world rightly is this. Filter all use through the purpose of the original design. If you will use things how they are intended to be used, it will always keep you on the right path. We said that the original design and purpose of all technology was a means to realize good, specifically the glory of God and good to fellow man. Calvin would say, when you use the internet carefully, keeping that in view, you will do it rightly. So this principle is very simple. Christians redeem the internet by using the internet the way it should be used. We, re we rescue technology, we rescue the internet from the grip of evil that has laid hold of it in our culture and we just say, no, not in my life, not in my home. We're not going to use it that way. We're going to use it rightly. It's going to glorify God in my life. It's going to glorify God in my home and in my children's life. It's going to be for the glory of God and it is going to help others, help creation and help us. That is how you redeem back technology. Okay, sounds like great theology, but for a lot of you, I'm still way too ambiguous, right? A lot of you are like, sounds good, tell me what to do. Practically, how does this look? What does that look like? Okay, I'll get more specific. Immediately, with that principle in mind, immediately we can eliminate all immoral activity on the internet, right? It's just gone. That is not the intentions of God. Okay, so if it's contrary to the, to the revealed will of God and His Word, Scripture... So, so if you're looking at pornography, that's black and white. You can't do that and, and do this right. So the, the internet cannot be used for things that are immoral and against the will of God. And I, and I think I don't have to convince you of that. But um, after the immoral stuff, it gets pretty complicated, right? Am I allowed on Facebook? What about online dating? What about blogs? What does it look like to redeem the internet in those areas? I guess you can call them gray areas. Well, to answer, in answer to those questions, um, I'll give you this guiding principle that I think will help you and your family and um, whoever to think through these issues. The issue in all of these issues is one of control. Are you controlling the internet or is it controlling you? Is your child controlling the internet or is the internet controlling your child? 
Basically, what I am saying here is that we strip the Internet of its power. We do the Internet right by placing its usage underneath the Lordship of Christ. That is what we mean when we say redeem it. Fundamentally, the claim of Christians is this. Jesus is my king. He owns me. That's what it means to be a Christian. You bow the knee to Jesus. He is your master. His ways are your ways. We submit ourselves to him in every way. And we say the only thing that will have rule in my life is Jesus. He is my master. And therefore, we repent of being mastered by anything else other than Jesus. And I just, with that in, with that in mind, I, I just see so many Christians mastered by the internet. Just like the rest of the world is mastered by the internet. And, and they get on there for legitimate reasons, to go to a legitimate site. And then, three hours later, they're looking at something that they're like, how did I get here? It's just click. Click, 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 mindlessly numbing yourself and distracting yourself. And at the end of the day, you've given your life away to this thing, Internet. Or you get on Facebook, your kids get on Facebook to check their messages or something. I don't know, it's a legitimate purpose of Facebook. And, and then suddenly, hours later, they're looking at pictures of people they don't even know. And like, what are you doing? And the, the young adults are laughing and you're like, I don't really understand what you're saying. They're, they're, they're like, what are you doing? You're lost in Facebook world. Do you even know these people? And they're just like, no. Well, what are you doing? Well, their kids are cute or whatever. I don't know. It's mastering us. And so, so the issue is one of control. Jesus will control my life and nothing else. So, if there is something else in control, you know that, living outside, that you are living outside the Lordship of Jesus and there needs to be some repentance and some change. So we take our internet usage, we place it under the Lordship of Christ, and in honesty and humility, we ask this question, where am I out of control? Where am I being controlled? Where is the internet controlling me rather than I controlling it? When you use the internet in a good and healthy, in-control way, it will bring honor to God, and it will be beneficial for others and this creation, including yourself. When it is not used as such, it brings dishonor to God because you have another master. And that is insulting to your master. And it will end up destroying you, others, your family, and who knows what. Okay, so what has to happen in your life with that principle in mind? Here, here's my challenge to you. You parents, you single adults... You need to have a serious evaluation of your internet usage with these principles in mind. Am, am I using it in a way that God intended technology to be used, namely for His glory and the good of others and good of creation? The answer to that question comes down to this. Where am I out of control? Where am I being mastered? Wherever that is, you are in trouble. So... You need to ask questions like this. If you're looking for one, I can't give you a formula. Okay, this is way too complicated. I can't, I, there's no way I can, it's too situation specific. So I'm just going to throw out some questions to maybe think through. You guys need to go home and have this discussion. Or, I, you know, you're welcome to have a discussion with me or any of the pastors. Ask questions like this. Do you or your child spend as much time in real community as you do in online community? Do you or your child have as many speaking conversations as you do texting, messaging, chatting? Whenever, what about this one? Whenever a problem arises or a question is posed, is your first and only thought, is your child's first and only thought Google? Does your child use it as a quick fix when, when it comes to homework? Like, could they not survive? Are they, are they controlled by the internet? In the fact, they cannot survive doing homework without spark notes or whatever they're using on the internet. They're going to hate me 
for, for this, but are, are you using it for purposes that aren't work-related when you're at work? In other words, is it taking you away from your calling, from what God has called you to do? Is your child using it for purposes that aren't school, when, when they're at school or when they're studying? Are you ever pointlessly on the internet? In other words, if I came up to you and say, hey, why are you here? Could you give an answer to that? Or would you be like, I don't, I don't know. When was the last, how about this one? When was the last time you went a day without it? I really believe this. Prudent, God-honoring internet usage probably means that there should be days when you are not on the internet. I, I'm not going to be the guy who says you can't use the internet. I, I hope that's come through. But I can say this, if we're using it rightly, it's not our master, it's not our God. I, I think there probably should be some days when you play outside all day. And the internet is not an issue for you. So the issue is one of control. You need to have a serious evaluation and ask the questions together as a family, as parents, as, as you young adults go out to dinner after this, have this conversation, have this evaluation. Where have I, where has my family lost control? And then from there, I'm speaking to you parents, then from there, you need to parent. It really is simple. Train your child. For some reason... For some reason, the internet has become the one untouchable area for parents. I, I, I think they're just so intimidated and don't know what to do there that they do nothing. Stop doing that. Start doing something. You'll make mistakes. That's okay. Parent here. They are way too immature to handle a technology as powerful as the internet. They will hurt themselves. They will. It is inevitable. Without guidance, without parenting. You would never just hand your young kid a lawnmower and say, here, have at it. Have fun with that technology. You would train them. You would teach them. You would never hand preteen a car keys and say, yep, have fun with that technology. You train them. You teach them. And yet I see kids everywhere, everywhere, handling the most powerful and potentially most dangerous technology we have ever invented with no guidance or control. The, the, the lack of parenting, I, the lack of control is amazing. I mean, what if you were going to bed at night and your, and your teenage boy came to you and said, Good night, Mom and Dad. I'm going out on the town all night to hang out with porn stars. Would you be okay with that? A lot of them are doing that. They are, they, they, they are it's not regulated, it's not controlled, and they are looking at that all night. And not just unbelieving kids. Christian covenant Children are doing it. You must regulate. You must control. You are the parent. Now, a lot of you are thinking, but you don't understand. If I started to try this, and I, I hear this as a youth pastor, if I try to start this now, my team would go crazy because they are already in so deep with this stuff, and I would just drive them away. I will say two things to that. First, who cares? Teens have always hated their parents. Why should the change now? But, and, and that's an overstatement. I understand. They love you. But... Look, they're gonna, you want them to love you in 10 years because you wean them off of this more than you want them to love you now. But secondly, and I really want you to hear this. Secondly, I, I know you're worried about the whole regulating and they're going to get mad at you and driving them away. I want you to know this. Um, I truly believe this. I think you're going to be surprised. They don't like their online lives as much as you think they do. They are hungry for purity. They don't want to be perverted. They feel a lot of shame and guilt. They want off. They want freedom. They want true, authentic intimacy and friendship. They don't like wasting their days away. But they're caught. And they're addicted. 
And, and, and they've just been consumed. And they are crying out to mom and dad, help me. You are my parent, help me. They're not going to say that, but their souls are saying that to you. They want help. I promise you, if you... They may come kicking and screaming, but they do want freedom. You might be surprised. I gave this challenge at youth group this week. I had, I had the students, and we're talking about this at youth group. And I challenged them in an incredibly difficult way about their use of the internet. And in just a very real way. And, and I thought I was going to get some kids angry. And I'm sure I did get some kids angry. But this made my night. I come home and I was like, I wonder if there's any chatter about this on Facebook. And so I log on. And, and here is the Facebook status of, of one of the, 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 the precious girls from our group. This is the Facebook status. Goodbye, Facebook. You are lame. Someday I may get back to you. <laughs> Now, that is a teen controlling Facebook, not Facebook controlling a teen. And, and it's not that I'm trying to say you can't ever do Facebook again, guys. I, I hope that's come across. I'm saying you can't let Facebook control your life. So I'm telling you, you may be surprised as you challenge, as you discipline, as you lead through these waters. I believe they long to be free. So, it's time to be a parent. What that means is, first and foremost, is that there should be a monitoring software on your computer, on every computer in your house. I can explain that if you come up to me later, but basically there, there are any number of things that will let you see everything that is being done on the Internet in your home. There should never be a computer without something like that on there where you, as a parent, know everything that is going on in your home on your computers. And when you see pornography, it is time to have a very tough discussion and discipline. And talk about a lot of restrictions until you can prove that you can handle this. When you see usage, it tells you all this stuff. When you see usage, whether up at 3 in the morning on the internet, you, you're a parent. You come to them and say, you know what, in our home we have a curfew. I'm not going to let you go home. I'm not going to go out all night of the hour hanging out with friends. I'm not going to let you online hang out with friends all night. When you see them particularly here on this site over and over again... Just totally out of control, you can see, okay, my, my child here is being mastered by that. Usually there's probably something like Facebook. And you say to them, okay, I, 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 I don't want you controlled by this. All those friends you're chatting with, they can come over, I will order you pizza, you will hang out and have real conversation. I mean, I, 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 I'm not telling you to, listen, all I'm saying is be a parent. You know how to do that a lot better than I do. I'm 30, okay? So you know how to do that a lot better than I, I I'm just saying do it. Do it. Don't let the internet intimidate you. Monitor it, know it, parent it like you do with everything else in life. I think you get what I'm saying. I can't give you a formula. I can only tell you to get this thing under control in your life and in your home. Okay, I'm done. Um, let me close with this. this. This has been the burden on my heart. And, and, and I'm speaking to everybody here, but, I, but if, you're, if you're part of the TCPC Community, I'd love for you to listen to this challenge in, in particular. Um, here's what I think will happen if, if, um, if we start doing this well in our lives and in our homes. I believe, you know, we talk about Christ's call to be salt and light in this world. If you were to come to me and say, where is the greatest opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to stand out as salt and light in this world, in this dark and decaying world? Where's the greatest opportunity? If you were to ask me that question, I would say, by our use of the Internet. This is the opportunity right here, right now, in our age, in our time to be the place that does this well, to shine as salt and light in a technological world. 
Do you think that the world might be attracted to a community that didn't waste their days away on a computer and instead was giving their lives away to causes a lot bigger than themselves in their community? Those are the people that don't gripe all day long on the blogs and forums. They're making a change. Don't you think that that would be attractive to the world? Don't you think that would shine? Do you think the world might be attracted to a place that didn't play fake community online? But instead, that was the place where you can go and you can find real, authentic friendship and community. Those are the people... Wouldn't it be cool to be known as this? Those are the people that don't just type LOL to each other. They have neighbors over and they laugh out loud. (laughs) Wouldn't that be cool for the church to be known as that? Do you think that the world might be attracted to a community that did more than surface text talk, but had deep, insightful conversation? This is the opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to shine. This is the opportunity for Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church to shine in Lexington. The world has been consumed by the internet and it is suffering under very cruel consequences. And people are starting, I believe, to long for freedom. If ever there was a time for the church to shine, it is now. Let us be different. Let us use this well. Let us live as salt and light in this technological world. That will happen when you and your family your children in this community learn to use the internet how it was intended for the glory of God and for the good of creation. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for those who are here. And, and um, it was just so much. And I just pray that you would take um, whatever and use it and, and transform me, Lord. I, I pray for myself and for my family. And that you would transform us into people who use this wonderful technology well. And, and for all here, and I pray for those in bondage tonight, for kids in bondage, for teenagers who are in bondage. I pray that this would be the beginning of conversations and efforts that would lead to freedom. And Lord, as we come back in the next few weeks to pick up these, 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 these tough issues that are particular dangers of the internet. Lord, Lord, please, would you grant wisdom and strength and, and repentance and, and, and blessing and, and freedom in all of these things. Thank you, Lord. You are good. Thank you for giving us your image and calling us to this high and noble purpose. May we be found faithful in it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.